Would you open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 10? Daniel 10, I believe this text of scripture might possibly change your prayer life. And I hope that today will be an encouragement to you. And I ask that you will ask the Lord to open your eyes to spiritual wonders that he will reveal in his word. Would you stand with me as we read Daniel chapter 10? I'm going to read the whole chapter out loud. And you can follow along Daniel chapter 10. Daniel 10, verse 1, the word of the Lord says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks, I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Upaz, Around his waist, his body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes were flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them. And they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words. And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood trembling. I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand And humbled yourself before your God. Your words have been heard. I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia. That's an evil angel, a demon. Withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes. The archangel. Came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia. Those are human rulers. And came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, the Jewish people. For the vision is for days yet to come. 
And when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. Then I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Again, one one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me and said, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And he spoke to me and I was strengthened. And he said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to flight to fight against the prince of Persia, another demon. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece, another evil angel will come. And I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Let's pray. What a remarkable text of scripture that we read in your word, Lord. We cannot understand it without your help. So please illumine our minds by your spirit and your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Over the past uh, 20 years of ministry, I've ministered in many children's camps and VBSs, or we like to call them Kids Spectaculars, and public school um, ministries, uh, Good News Clubs. We did that for 12 years. And one of my favorite ways to get kids to memorize a verse was to use a puppet. You know, you have those little felt people or sometimes they're animals and there's a, usually a curtain we have. There's a person behind the curtain. Then you have that little animal pops up and he begins to talk and the person back there moves his mouth and uses a silly voice or something like that. What's really amazing is to see, you know, kids, sometimes when I'm doing it, I have a little hole and I can see the kids out there and to see these, especially the little ones in the front, they are just in awe of it. They're amazed by it. Some think it's real. Some of the kids are afraid because they think it's alive. And um, I've actually had times where I've done the puppet and I've had kids cry and scream and run to the back. And so and that might be my scary voice more than it was actually the puppet. But anyways, but... Uh, what's interesting in a puppet show like that, you have the scene, you have what's seen from the front, and then you have behind the scenes. Usually we don't let kids go behind the scenes and see what's back there, and sometimes the guys in the sound, they're doing things back there, and there's the scene, and then there's the unseen. In our world, we have the scene, but we also have the unseen. And we as humans live in a material world, we live in the natural world, we have the scene, we we go to school or we go to work and we drive in our cars, we come to church, we have our families, we have our homes, we go on hikes, we have the scene. But God and his holy angels and those evil angels, we call demons, evil angels, exist in an unseen world, in a spiritual world. And that world is just as real as our world. Those angels are just as real as we are. Angels are real supernatural creatures. They talk. They worship. The holy ones worship God. The evil ones worship themselves. They move about. They make moral decisions. 
The evil angels disrupt and corrupt. The holy angels serve God and protect. And that spiritual world overlaps our physical, natural world. In our text today, in Daniel chapter 10, God allows us to get a glimpse behind the scenes of this material world, and we're able to see this immaterial, this spiritual, supernatural world. So this morning, we're going to study the unseen war, the unseen spiritual war. And I think this text of scripture teaches us that there's a spiritual war that's taking place. And because there is an unseen spiritual war, we need to trust God. Because there is an unseen spiritual world war in our world, you and I need to trust God. And so we're going to look at four ways that we can trust God. Four ways to trust God in the midst of this spiritual war. So we're going to look at two points this week. And this text, honestly, was so good. I enjoyed it so much. I was like, we're going to do the next two next week. So it's going to be a lot of fun. And if you grew up in the 1990s, you knew that a lot of TV shows were about angels. There's little angels everywhere. Well, at least pictures of what people thought angels looked like. Those precious moments, you know, angels, which aren't what angels look like, but, you know, that cost like $10,000 and you're keeping it for your retirement, but probably won't worth, be worth anything. Anyways, that was a big thing, right, at one time and still is. And if you enjoy this kind of conversation, you're going to enjoy this sermon here this morning. During the course of Daniel's life, he experienced great conflict. He saw great conflicts around him. He witnessed human discord and wars. Yet through it all, Daniel believed that there was more to life than just the the human conflicts on earth. He believed that there was a spiritual war taking place. I mean, just think about the ministry of Daniel. You know, he gets thrown into a lion's den... People are scheming against him. A king signs an order that says you can't pray. He prays to the unseen God. He goes into this lion's den and what's in there to protect him? It's an angel, right? He, he knew there was an unseen spiritual war taking place. I mean, he even met Gabriel in his dreams. And so as we enter into chapter 10 here, we recognize that Daniel was aware of this spiritual war, which is why he engaged in prayer. So how can we trust God in the midst of the spiritual war? First of all, we need to know that our world is in a spiritual war. If you're in a war, you probably should know you're in that war. And so we need to recognize that this is a reality. Look at verse 1. The Bible says in Daniel 10.1, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that's the year 536 BC, a word was revealed to Daniel whose name was Belteshazzar. And that name just helps us remember that this is the same guy from Daniel chapter 1, right? This is not a different Daniel. Same guy throughout this entire book here. And the word was true. In other words, this is not historical fiction. We should read this text in a normal, literal sense, like you'd read any other historical event. And it was a great conflict. In other words, it was about a great conflict. Now, if you have a a new King James, or if you have a King James, it translates that word differently, translate that, that part of that sentence differently. And I don't think it's helpful how they translate it. The Hebrew word behind the word in ESV, conflict, the Hebrew word is sabah. 
Usually it's translated as soldiers or war or military hosts. In fact, this is a word that's used in one of the most common words, uh, one of the most common names for God, the Lord of hosts. So host, sabah, that's the idea of there's a, a, a host of military hosts, soldiers. So Lord of hosts, or as the King James says, Lord Sabahoth, or Lord of armies. So anyways, the point is, this message here is about a great conflict, about a great war between warriors And it's between warriors who are angelic warriors in the spiritual realm, but also people on earth who are in great conflict with each other. So there are two layers to this great conflict. There's this heavenly layer and this earthly layer. They overlap each other. And the heavenly conflict affects the earthly conflicts. So this heavenly conflict affects the earthly conflicts. And then the earthly prayers of Daniel affects the heavenly conflicts. It's an amazing thing to think about. It's an amazing thing to study. Daniel 10 is a description, therefore, of Daniel's prayer and of the unseen spiritual realities. And then Daniel 11 and 12 presents the earthly conflicts. And the point is that these chapters are about great spiritual wars. Now, as you look at verse 1 of Daniel chapter chapter 10, you might ask yourself the question, I know I've done this a number of times, why does he always start off with, in the year of King so-and-so, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar, King, you know, whoever it is. Why does he do that? Well, he's doing that because he wants us to date this and recognize what happened during that time. So here's a question we should ask. What happened during this year in 536 BC? What happened to Daniel, to Persia, and to the Jewish people. What I want to do this morning is I want to first show you the the human conflict, the earthly conflict, conflict that took place in 536 BC and then demonstrate to you in Daniel chapter 10 how those conflicts were affected by the greater spiritual war. So I want to first show you the earthly perspective and then we're going to put on top of that the heavenly war that took place in the midst of that. So look down at verse number two. The Bible says, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies or meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the, for, for the full three weeks. So he, he restricted his diet. He, he didn't do self-care. You know, he didn't put on his essential oils. I don't, know if, I don't know if this is actually for essential oils or against, because when he prays, he doesn't put them on. So, okay, anyways, we're not going to go there. I guess I just did. Anyways, well, why is he mourning here? What's wrong with Daniel? What's happening? I mean, think about it. In Daniel chapter 9, he confessed his sin, the sin of Israel. He, he asked God to restore them. And then God answers his prayer. I mean, that's awesome, right? Cyrus, the king of Cyrus says, hey, go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. In fact, do this with me. Would you go to Ezra chapter 1? This is the only place I'm going to have you turn this morning. Hopefully you can find it. If not, go to the front of your Bible and look it up in the concordance. But First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. Ezra chapter 1. Remember in Daniel 9, Daniel prayed. He repented of his sin and Israel's sin. And he, he petitioned God. And God answered his prayer. In fact, Ezra chapter 1 is the answer to that prayer. 
So Ezra chapter 1 is, is two or three years before Daniel chapter 10. Before what we're talking about today. So this is right after, Dan, Ezra 1 is right after Daniel prayed the first time in Daniel 9. So Dan, Ezra 1, 1 says, hopefully you're there. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. So there's the same guy we just read in Daniel 10. So this is probably the year three, or 539 or 538, something like that. 539, 538 B.C. The word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of King Cyrus of Persia. So here you have the Lord doing something in the heart of this king. That's interesting, isn't it? So that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. So here's the proclamation. Thus says Cyrus of King of Persia, the Lord, that's Yahweh, the Lord, the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you, all of his people, speaking to the Jewish people, may his God be with him and let him go to up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? So Daniel prays and God works in this, the heart of this king. And he actually declares that people can go back and rebuild this temple that was laying in waste and just rubble. Now, just as a side note, I had someone ask me this last week and um, just as a side kind of note for eschatology, this decree by King Cyrus is not the same decree that we find in Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. Remember, Daniel 9, 25 was a decree to rebuild the city. This is a decree to rebuild what? The temple, right? So the decree to rebuild the city wouldn't take place for another 92 years. But the point is, Daniel saw the beginning of God answering his prayer. That's pretty exciting. But it actually didn't turn out as well as he had hoped, in other words, only, only 42,000 people went back to Israel. So the king said you could do this. I mean, it's the hope of Israel to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. Do I need to turn this on? It's, a, it's the hope of God's people to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And, but only a few people went back, not as many as, as probably should have. But on top of that, after a little while, the work stopped. In fact, turn over to Ezra chapter 4. In Ezra chapter 4, now this is the same time as Daniel chapter 10. This is what Daniel is responding to in mourning. So Ezra chapter 4, we see here the spiritual war taking place on an earthly perspective. And we're going to see the tactics that Satan uses against God's people. And we're going to see the seen world. This is the seen part. And then we're going to go back to Daniel 10 and see the unseen. So look in Daniel, I'm sorry, look in um, Ezra, Ezra chapter 4, look at verse 1. Now when the adversary, adversaries of Judah and Benjamin, so these are the enemies of God's people who were living in the land of Israel, when they heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel, there's the leader of this return, and he actually was of the line of David, so... You have the, the heads of the father's houses and said to them, let us build with you. Like we want to join with you. It's a lie, by the way. For we worship your God as you do. And we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days 
of, um, I've practiced this and I always get it wrong, but Escardon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. So here they are lying, right? Oh, we've been worshiping Yahweh ever since, you know, everything happened in Jerusalem years ago. But verse three, but Zerubbabel and Jeshua or Joshua was the high priest and the rest of the heads of fathers, houses in Israel said to them, you have nothing to do with us. Good for them. You have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God, but we alone will build to the Lord the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. And notice what happens. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build. So they discouraged them. They caused them to be afraid. So notice these these tactics of Satan. Satan tries to discourage people. Satan tries to use fear to to intimidate them, to cause them not to follow God. I mean, think about all that. Like, think how many people over the past year and a half have been discouraged, right? Discouraged about what's happening in Washington, in our country, over in other countries. Think about the fear that's been put upon people. And then look at verse 5. And bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So there's money laundering, there's lies, there's bribes, there's deceptions. Sounds a lot like Washington and Sacramento, doesn't it? And in verse 6, and in the reign of Harris, in the beginning of his reign, so here's a, here's a new guy coming on the scene, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. And they wrote a letter full of lies about them. The king believed those lies and ordered the work to stop. So Daniel prayed. God worked in the heart of this king. Evil people came in. They lied. They deceived. They did all these wicked things. Their money's passing here and there. And the king decided to stop the work. So go back to Daniel chapter 10. So that's what's happening on the ground, if you want to say. So how does Daniel respond to this? Spiritual war taking place. What does he do? He prays. Think about, though, how demoralizing this would have been for Daniel. I mean, maybe even a little confusing, right? Okay, God, you promised this in Jeremiah and 70 years. Praise God, you answered the prayer. Now, like, it's not happening. What's going on? Like, was this just like a temporary thing? You can imagine these are going through his mind. and These thoughts are going through his mind. And so what did he do? He prayed. Ezra 4 really describes the physical conflict, lies, deception, bribes, and fear. And then we see in Daniel 10, the spiritual war, the un seen war. Let's just stop and think about it. Let's think about our physical world, our material world, and the conflicts that we see around us. We have politicians that lie to us on a constant basis. Is that probably true? I mean, do you think there's corruption in politics and in elections? Not going to go any further. Just lay it right there, right? And even for us, some of us in homes this past week, had people who were yelling at each other, right? You had spouses that were at each other's throats. You had children who lived in rebellion, were disrespectful. 
I met with a pastor this past week who, in the past six, year, he, six years, he's had two church splits in his church. Small church like ours, not much bigger than our church. Obviously got a lot smaller after those splits. And people in churches like that, and churches even like ours, desire disunity and gossip and have discord and cause problems. And there's problems in churches. Our society teaches things that are false, Right? There's lies that are being taught in schools and in universities. Our culture calls evil good and good evil. So, you know, if, you're, if it's a baby and someone doesn't want it, then it's good to kill that baby, an innocent one. But if there's a murderer and he's on death row, it's not good to, to execute the murderer. In fact, for some people that have done wrong things, we just let them free in our society. <laughs> Mass, and so we call good evil and evil good and a messed up world, isn't it? And you look at that and you think, man, why is that the case? Like, why is that happening? What's behind all that? Well, the scripture makes us aware that the conflict in our world is influenced and it's corrupted by Satan and his evil schemes. We read this scripture this morning in our scripture reading, Ephesians 6, that we need God's strength because The devil has his evil schemes. He has his tricks. He has his strategies to oppose God, to to try to destroy God's people, those made in God's image. Verse 12 says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, right? And Ezra, with Ezra and Ezra 1 there, and, or Ezra chapter 4, I mean, in Ezra chapter 4 in Israel, I mean, what you saw was physical conflict, right? I mean, wasn't that all that was taking place? No, he says, they, uh, Paul says, we wrestle against rulers and authorities, cosmic powers, present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So there's, there's something else going on in this world besides what we see on this earth. And Daniel knew he was in a spiritual war and that's why he prayed. So Daniel was on his face. He had a prayer meeting, right? All those men were out there. They're on this, this prayer meeting and he's crying out to God, God, work, please, God. You promised us, do this, Lord. Fulfill your promise to your people. Daniel was not ignorant of the war. That's why he prayed. And he prayed for three weeks, 21 days. He prayed until God sent this holy one to encourage Daniel and to confirm that, yes, God is the victor. God is the one who always wins. We're going to look at this holy one in a moment and what he says. But I want you to notice in verse 13. Look at verse 13. This holy one who came to Daniel He didn't come for 21 days because something was going on. Look at verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia. Oh, who's that? That's some kind of demonic angel. An evil angel. Withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia. That's the human rulers. So remember that the king of Persia was the one who stopped the rebuilding of the temple. The governing officials were the ones who stopped the rebuilding of the temple. And why did he do it? It was based on a bunch of lies, right? So here's a question. Who was behind all that? Who was behind those lies and those deceptions? That division? 
Well, it was here we see this spiritual battle that was taking place. For 21 days, there was a battle that took place probably longer than that, but it took that long for this one to come to Daniel. Look at verse 20. Verse 20, he wraps it up and he says, but now I will return to fight against that same prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece. So there's another evil angel is going to come. Now, Greece is about 200 years from this point from becoming a superpower, but the demonic forces were already at work. He's saying they're coming next. But then he says, verse 21, I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these, those evil angels, except Michael, your prince. This is just remarkable to read and to consider. Here here there, there are angel forces fighting over government control or I should say control over governments and influences of the heads of state. Think about that. Think about our country. Think about our world. Think about the countries around the world. Think about all those leaders who is influencing them. You ever seen those videos on TV where you have like news media and they're like, they're all saying the same thing. I mean, it goes on for like five minutes where they're all like have these same lines over and over and over again. You ever thought to yourself, I mean, where do they get all the same like words kind of, I mean, all these different networks all across the country are all saying the same things. How are they able to do that? I mean, there might be some kind of talking points they're all reading, but there's also some kind of activity taking place behind the scenes, right? Why do our governments do what they do? Well, there are other forces at work. And here's a question. What does that look like? I mean, what does it look like that's this, this prince of Persia came against Michael and this other angel? What does that look like? You know what the answer to that is? I don't know. <laughs> That's the answer. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible doesn't describe for us like what, what is, that, is that on the moon? Is that on the earth? Is that, I mean, we don't know, okay? A lot, and a lot of people get in trouble, and this is where they get in trouble. They go beyond what the scripture says. So we see this right here, and we go, whoa, okay, something's going on. Like, like got a peek behind the curtain, and then the curtain goes back, and then people go, okay, let's, let's, let's dive into that. Let's figure what that looks like. Well, okay, let's go into the scriptures. Uh, there's no actually descriptions of that. Now we know how they work. Like we're going to learn about that in a little bit. But as far as what it looks like, we don't know. We got to be careful about going beyond the scriptures. And this is where a lot of people get into trouble, particularly a lot of charismatic people where they start naming angels. Oh, that's the angel for this. And everything's some kind of demonic angel, right? It's like, oh, that, you know, they find a rock somewhere and they have to cast the demon out of that rock and weird things like that. And people do that. I met a, I met a pastor who says he goes to people's houses and he binds demons in people's houses. That's, first of all, you're taking a scripture out of context. It's not what that scripture is saying in Matthew, but that's not... The biblical way to deal with that, right? It's something the Bible teaches us to do. Throughout this service, we um, have sound and we have video and we have things taking place here. And you kind of see those things, hear me speaking. But behind the scenes, you have the guys in the back. There's those guys back there. Thank you guys for what you're doing. And there's a lot that they're doing that obviously we don't know. There's a lot we really don't understand. Frankly, there's stuff that they don't understand, right? There's wires and sound, you know, there's waves going. There's things that are happening that are unseen, right? And we don't necessarily even understand all that. You know what? That's okay. But we know it's a reality, especially when it, something bad happens is when we know it's a reality. But hopefully when it's good, we also say thank you to them as well. But the point is, the point is, is that there are seen things and unseen things. And sometimes the unseen things, we don't have to understand how it all works. 
but we just have to know that it does work and it's that, that it's true and that's a reality. So first of all, know that our world is in a spiritual war. And then secondly, believe. Believe that the Lord of hosts fights for us according to his sovereign will. The Lord of hosts fights for us according to his sovereign will. Here's Daniel by this river and he's having a prayer meeting and suddenly this brilliant man appeared to him. Now the question is, this is the question a lot of people ask is, who is this person here? I'm not going to read through the whole text since we've already read it at the very beginning of the sermon, but who is this person? Who is this angelic man? Well, commentators are divided on it. Some see this as another powerful archangel like Michael. Some see this as the pre-incarnate Jesus, the son of God. Some actually go to verse 5 and see that description from verse 5 to 10 as Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus, the son of God. And then some people go to verse 11 and see that as a different person. That's, a, that's another angel. So Jesus, the first part, angel, the second part. And that one I wrestled with. I don't see that partly because it seems like the text flows with the same person. In fact, if you look at verse 11, scripture says, and he said to me, so he, who's he referring to, well, it seems it's pretty obvious it's the person that has already been speaking to him. So it seems like this all flows. So I think this is the same person. Now the question is, who is it? And I'm just going to be completely frank. I wrestled with this for a while and I could not figure it out. And I came to the conclusion that I just don't know who this is. But I'm going to tell you who I think it might be. And you can have a different opinion. And I actually might agree with you in a couple of weeks. I don't know. So maybe you can study this week and you can come back and tell me. I believe it is either a powerful angel who fights under the authority of the Son of God. Or this is the actual pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Now here's some homework for you. So you want to write this down. You can do this. If you want to study yourself, look up Ezekiel 1. 26 through 28. Ezekiel 1, 26 through 28. Here's a description of Yahweh, the Lord, on his throne. And honestly, that description looks very similar to this person right here. Then go to Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 16, which is a description of the post-resurrected, or I should say the resurrected Jesus Christ. And that description is almost exactly like this description right here. So honestly, when you read those texts of scripture and then you read this one, you go, well, this, this has to be Jesus. This has to be the pre-incarnate Christ. So this is a, some people believe a Christophany is what they call it. And I would, I lean that way and also lean that way partly also because one of the significant aspects of Jesus in the Old Testament is that he is the Lord of hosts. He is the commander of the Lord's armies. He's a commander of the armies of the Lord. In fact, the most frequently used compound title for God in the Old Testament is Lord of hosts or Lord of armies. Over 270 times that is used to describe God. What are those armies? What are those Lord of hosts or Lord of armies? What's the armies? It's angelic armies, right? It's the armies who follow God. So we sing a song like this. We sing, if I can get this next one. Whom shall I fear? I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind the God of angel armies. You ever read that or sang that and thought, well, what's that talking about? It's the Lord of hosts. That's who he's talking about. The Lord of hosts is always by my side. He's always with me. Or how about this one? A mighty fortress is our God. Don't dusk. Sorry, dust ask 
who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he, Lord Sabaoth, or Lord of hosts, his name from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. So the Lord of hosts, a description of Jesus as the commander of the armies of the Lord. In fact, Isaiah, I'm just going to go through some scriptures here. If you want to write these down, you can. Isaiah 44, 6 is a description of the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. So Yahweh of hosts, notice all caps, L-O-R-D. I am the first and I am the last and there is no God beside besides me. So here's the Lord of hosts. And then, you know, we see in Revelation, Jesus proves he's the Lord of hosts, right? He commands angel armies to judge the people. And then at the very end of Revelation, Jesus says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega. And he's quoting Isaiah 44, 6. I am that Lord of hosts, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So Jesus is the Yahweh of Angel armies. He's the Lord of hosts. So is this in Daniel 10, Jesus? I don't know. (laughs) But it's either one of those. And so we're going to consider both those as we go throughout this text. But we do know this. We do know that Jesus is the one as the Lord of hosts. He's the one directing this. Either he is right here revealing to us how he works behind the scenes or he has one of his Military officers down there saying this is how he works. And how does he work? Well, he fights for his people. He fights for his people. Look at verse 10. Verse 10, the Bible says, And behold, a hand touched me. Can you imagine that, by the way? Just first of all, let's think about this. Like, re- this, is re- this really happened. He touched him. Wow. And set me trembling on my hands and knees. Yeah, that probably would happen, right? You just like melt before this person. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you. Stand upright for now. I have been sent to you. So if this is Jesus, then he is sent by the Father. If this is the angel of the if this is an angel, then he's sent by the Lord of hosts. But first notice God's view of Daniel is that God treasures Daniel. We talked about this last week. God loves Daniel. And so God is working in Daniel's life, also for his people Israel, in a way that is beneficial to them because he loves them. And so we need to remember this, right? When we're involved in spiritual war, it's not that God has left us. It's not that God doesn't, doesn't care about us anymore. God still loves us. And so in the midst of this spiritual battle, God, through either an angel or Jesus Christ himself, touches him and says, you are greatly loved. We need to remember that when we're in the midst of spiritual battle. I don't know about you, but when I face spiritual battle, usually I'm just down. I'm, I guess you might even say somewhat depressed, right? Leading up to this sermon, I was reading about different um, guys who were, you know, exegeting the text and stuff. And I mean, over and over, everyone's saying, you know, as you read up, lead up to preach a text like this, you're going to have a lot of problems this week. And I'm like, well, that happened to me. <laughs> you did, and, and some of it just says, you feel this oppression upon you. But you need to remember in the midst of that, God loves his people. In fact, look at verse 11. Look at verse 11. The Bible says, And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling, and he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand 
So he's praying and humbled yourself before your God. Your words have been heard. So 21 days ago, he started praying. I heard your words 21 years ago, and I have come because of your words. But wait, it took 21 days to get there, right? But he'd been praying for all 21 of those days. And the very first day, God heard him. Why did it take that long? Verse 13, you have the prince of the kingdom of Persia, this evil angel. He withstood him for 21 days. Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help him. And so, who's Michael? Well, look down at verse 21. You can see that he is the angel for Israel. He says, Michael, your prince. Your, not just Daniel's, but the, the people of Israel. So, Israel has a prince, has, a, has an angel that protects them. So God loves and cares for his people. And then look at verse 14. He says, I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people. Who is that? Jewish people in the latter days. And then verse 21, he says that God is protecting, preserving his people according to his book of truth. Look at verse 21. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. Now, what is that? I sure would like to know. But it's some type of book or sometimes a record of the decrees of God. Some kind of record that details how, I think, how God wins. He's saying, listen, this is all true. This is all in this book. I'm about to tell you this vision. Here's this vision. It's all written in the book of truth. It's all God's, God's decrees. Like, in other words, God wins, people. Like, He's, there's nothing that can defeat him. So as you look around at the problems and the wars that are taking place around us, we don't go, oh no, is God going to come out okay on this? It's like, it's in the book of truth. And I think it's good for us as New Testament believers to remember that through Christ's work on the cross, we already have the victory, right? These, these spiritual wars that are taking place are taking place under this idea, and that is that He, that's God, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's speaking about Jesus and the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he defeated demons and Satan and death and sin. So they're a defeated foe. This past week I was reading some stories about some battles on islands near Japan after World War II. So after World War II, the I should say in World War II, the Japanese military, the emperor, who considered himself to be a god, and told people that, and everyone believed it, that was under his rule. They believed it, and so they fought with that kind of idea. Well, he eventually surrendered and actually declared he wasn't a god. Some people didn't believe that, especially if they were isolated on an island somewhere. So even though Japan surrendered, you still had these pockets of soldiers, Japanese soldiers, who were still fighting the allies, the American soldiers and they were doing guerrilla warfare and they're trying everything they can to you know kill people hurt people bomb things and in a similar way christ has won the war he's already won the war but the enemy satan and his evil angels they're doing everything they can to get as many casualties as possible even though they know they're defeated so we are to believe that the lord of hosts he fights for us according to his sovereign will. So if you're in Christ, if you've turned from your sin and you're trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you can trust that Jesus Christ fights for you. He fights for you. Next week, we're going to look at 
more closely how we are to fight in the battle. So we're going to look at that a little bit more closely next week. I don't have time to do that this week. So we're just going to finish just speaking about what takes place in the spiritual war between angels and those on this earth. And again, we can't know what it looks like behind the curtain. We have a little glimpse of it here, but someone that tries to describe it to you, they're making it up. It's not in the scriptures. But we can know how they fight. So let's take a moment to consider that. Talking about angels here. What are we talking about? We're talking about finite creatures. These are creatures who are created by God. That means they're limited. They're not omnipresent. They're not everywhere. They can only be in one place at a time. They're immaterial individuals. They have a will. They have wisdom. They have great power. At some point in the creation week, God created these amazing creatures. God gave them a chance to follow him or follow their own path. And so a third of the angels followed Lucifer, the greatest angel, followed him and rebelled against God. And so you have these angels who are confirmed in holiness, and you have these angels who are confirmed in wickedness. And God created, at some point then, he created hell, and he created them for these angels, for these angels that fell and rejected God, for the devil and his angels. That's what Jesus said. He said there's going to be a day when he's going to have those who have not rejected, I'm sorry, those who have not accepted the gospel, he's going to have them go to the place that was prepared for the devil and his angels. Here's a question people ask. How many angels are there? Well, the Bible tells us that there is so many that you can't count them. Right? Hebrews 12:22 says they're countless. So what is that? Is that billions, trillions? We're spending money in Washington's. We're getting even trillions. Maybe we're going to go beyond that someday. I don't know. How much is that? That's a lot. Who knows how many there are? There's so many you can't even count. What's the goal of the evil angels? Well, they're living in rebellion to God. And the Bible says that because of that, they have a fixed day of judgment. They asked Jesus, they said, they said, what are you, what are you coming here for? Is this, are you going to come before the day of torment? In other words, there's this fixed day. They know that they're a defeated foe. There's a fixed day when they're going to be judged. But what is their goal? Obviously, they're trying to disrupt God and his plans. They're, kind of, they're trying to oppose God. But really, their goal is to destroy the lives of God's special creation. That is, those who are made in the image of God. He wants to destroy your life. Satan wants to destroy your life. That's why Peter writes, be sober-minded, be serious. Listen, when we talk about this, be serious, right? Is this serious stuff? Be serious. Be watchful. In other words, hey, there's a spiritual war. Open your eyes. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And what does that look like? What does it look like for him to go around and say, I want to destroy people's lives? Well, Ephesians tells us this. Ephesians says that the prince of the power of the air. So this is, this is the prince, Satan, the devil, Lucifer. He has this control. He's working now in the sons of disobedience. That's every person on earth that's rejecting God, living a life of disobedience to God, among whom we also once lived in the passions of the flesh. So he is, he's, he's, actually captured people. He shackled people with their own sinful passions. He keeps them enslaved, carrying out the desires, the body and the mind. 
and are by by nature children of wrath. So his goal is to keep them shackled with their sinful lust so they can go to hell with him. That's his goal. The evil one and his angels fight God by enslaving people in their sinful desires. And so what does that look like? In other words, where does this battle take place? Is this taking place on Mars? No. You know where this battle is taking place? Right up here. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds. That's the God of this world, speaking of Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. In other words, the battle takes place, yes, in other places, but the main battle takes place right up here between our two ears. It's in our mind. We can't really be certain about what that battle between angels looks like, right? But we can be certain of this, that Satan is blinding the minds of people to the truth of God, the truth of his word. And the most powerful weapon, if you, if you were to ask, what's the most powerful weapon Satan has? We're going into Halloween, right? And so people are like, oh, I know what it is. I watched some movie. You know what the most powerful weapon Satan is, Satan has? It's deception. It's deception. And with deception, he propagates the lies that life without God is good. In fact, you can live life without God. It's okay, even as a Christian. That's the lie that he wants you to believe. He takes the good things of God meant to bless us, and he twists them into that which hurts us. So he takes food. That's a good thing. I like food. You like food? Takes food, and he deceives people to think that more and more and more And too much is better for us. He steals God's good plan for intimacy in marriage. And he tempts you to think that you deserve a little bit outside of marriage. Maybe in your mind or maybe in person. He uses elements from nature like drugs and deceives you to think that you should use them to take care of some of the sorrows of your soul. He twists God's design for enjoying life. Like God designed this world to... And so we could enjoy life and he takes that idea and he tempts you to believe that God is this cosmic vending machine, right? If you push the right buttons for God, if you, if you give to the church and if you go to church and if you do this and do that, then maybe God will pop out happiness for you in life because that's the goal of life, right? And that's a lie from Satan. He uses your inner desire to know God to deceive you to think that you have to earn favor from God in order to know God. He creates false religions that seem to be very close to biblical Christianity. And they even have the name church in them and Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints, things like that. that, That's from the Bible, right? But it's just enough that it looks true, but it keeps people blind to the truth that you cannot earn your way to heaven. And it's good for us to consider how he works because this is how Satan works. He works through lies. The devil does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. And there is a war in this world. And listen, either you're on the side of God and truth or you're deceived and you're on the side of Satan. There's no other option. I think it's good for us to all ask ourselves, what side are you living on? Are you living on the Lord's side? 
And I think one of the things to ask with that is to ask yourself, but then actually ultimately ask God, am I deceived? Am I deceived? You know the crazy thing about being deceived is you don't know you are. And so it's a good thing to ask God, maybe I'm, maybe I'm being deceived. God, show me the truth. Look in God's words that God, show me the truth. I want to know if I'm deceived. One of the sad things I think that I've had in ministry is, especially when I oversaw youth ministry for a number of years, is I think back to all those youth that went through our church. And I think about names of people that we spent time with, that we prayed for, we loved. And I think about them today. And many of them are away from the Lord. And what's painfully obvious to me is that many of those people that said they were Christians, that said they were following Christ, it's obvious they weren't. And so what's the only conclusion I can come to? They were deceived. And I think when I flip it around, I think about church, I think about you out here, and I think to myself, how many of you in here are in the same, same situation? How many of you are in this situation where you've, you've lived this life of church, you think you're following God, but you're actually deceived? I mean, this was me growing up. This was me when I was growing up. I, my dad was a pastor. Like, I sat in the front row. I, I was in a good family. Like, I thought I was a good person. I actually thought that I was good enough for God, <laughs> I thought maybe I was doing good enough stuff that God would like me. And then I was 15 years old, heard someone giving their testimony. And in that, they told the gospel. And I recognized, oh, Ben, it was like this light bulb came on. I went, oh, I'm deceived. I'm no different than anyone else in this world. I'm, I'm trusting in myself. And it hit me. I'm on my way to hell. I need Jesus. And the truth is, friends, there might be someone in here, and that's you. Maybe you're a young person in this church, and I think you seriously should consider that. Because there's some young people in here that you're going to grow up, and I tell people when I train youth leaders, I tell them, and this might sound cynical, I say many of these teens in here are going to walk away from the Lord. And I don't mean it because I hope it's true. I'm just saying it because I experientially have to experience, which means what? We need to give the gospel to people, even people here. We need to ask ourselves, are we deceived? But when the light of the glorious gospel of Christ shines into your heart and you repent and you believe the gospel, the Bible says that you are on the Lord's side. You're on the Lord's side. His spirit is within you. You're sealed forever. You have eternal life. Your sins are forgiven. Death has no hold on you. And therefore, the Lord of hosts, he fights for you. God uses, and this is an amazing thing to think about, God uses angels to fulfill his sovereign will. Think about that. He uses angels to fulfill his sovereign will. Why is that? I mean, well, maybe back up and ask this question. Why does he use us? Right? He doesn't have to use us to build his church. He doesn't have to use us to give the gospel to people. I mean, he could do like the plain thing, you know, where the gospel's up there and it's like, oh, there's the gospel. But he uses us. Why does he do that? What brings him glory? To have people respond in obedience. Why does God use angels? I think it's the same thing. It brings him glory. He doesn't have to do that. Like he's om- omnipotent. Like he's all powerful. He just speaks and things can be done. So I think sometimes we think, well, that's how God works. And he does work that way. But he actually uses material, that's us, and immaterial, that's angels. He uses material beings and immaterial beings to accomplish his will. Which is amazing to think about. 
And so let me just ask this last question. What are they doing right now? What are angels doing? Holy angels, I should say. What are holy angels doing? The Bible says, bless the Lord, O you, his angels. Isn't it interesting? The Bible speaks to angels. You mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. They do whatever God tells them to do. That's what mighty angels do. They fulfill his word. So the cherubim, they guard like the Garden of Eden. They guarded the Garden of Eden. Seraphim, they are angels on fire, on fire with God's holiness. And they cry out. I mean, there's maybe billions, trillions. We don't know how many above the throne of God. And they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the who? Is the Lord of hosts. Here's the Lord of hosts on his throne. And here's these angels on fire, seraphim. That's amazing to think about. Then you have these archangels like Michael. They're fighting for God's people. Someday an archangel is going to cry out and he's going to say, he's going to cry out in the voice of an archangel and Jesus will come back. Basically, he's going to say, it's all done. Here's the victor, the Lord of hosts. He's coming back. I don't think he'll say those exact words, but something along those lines, he'll say something. Some angels are messengers like Gabriel. Some announce the birth of Jesus. Some angels help Gospel workers like Philip in Acts 8. Some angels watch us. Think about that one. The holy angels are watching us. Angels comfort Jesus, comforted Jesus. They comforted Paul in prison. They watch us proclaim the good news. They're very interested in what's going on with the gospel here. Angels celebrate our repentance. When a person repents, angels re- celebrate that. What does that look like? What does that look like? See, I think this is where people get a struggle because then you go, oh, let's describe that. The Bible doesn't. We just know it's, we know it's a reality. Is it true? Yes. What does it look like? I don't know. But we take comfort in the fact that it's true. Angels guard. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And he delivers them. Angels serve. Hebrews 1.14. They serve and minister to those who are heirs of salvation. They, they help God fulfill answers to prayer. Acts 12.5 through 10. Peter is in prison. The church is praying and God sends an angel to deliver him. So what good did Daniel's prayer do? Really, you know, what good did it do? What good do your prayers do? Well, think about it. Daniel prayed while his people were in captivity. He prayed and God worked in this king's heart, King Cyrus, to send a letter, a decree out to have God's people go back to Israel. That's pretty awesome. So How much were angels a part of that? Well, the Bible doesn't say, but somehow they might have been a part of it, but definitely God was working. Then you have this this evil group of people who are coming against God's people. You have a king in a faraway land, and they write a letter to him, and somehow there's these evil angels that are involved in influencing him, and it causes the work to stop. And then Daniel prays, and he's met by an angel that says to him, hey, listen, God's going to answer your request, and... You don't have to go there, but if you want to read it on your own, you can read Ezra 5, and you know what happens? God answers his request. God works. The Persian government actually, again, approved of the rebuilding of the temple, said that they were going to use their own funds, the government funds, and government protection to have it happened. So what did Daniel do when there was a spiritual war? 
And again, we're going to talk about this more next week, but I do want to come back to this because you hear about all these things happening. All these battles taking place and all this happening. What did he do? How did he fight the war? He got on his knees and he prayed. Friends, we are in a spiritual war. Many of us are ignorant to that fact, aren't we? We wake up every day, we live our life, we go to sleep, and we don't even think about that there's a spiritual war taking place, which probably means that you're surrendering every day to the wiles of the devil. So know there's a spiritual war and then trust that God is on our side. The Lord, a host, fights with us. Everyone who's been born of God, all those who are God's children, how do they fight? This is the victory that has overcome the world. And what is it? Our faith. Let's pray. Would you pray with me? As we enter into a time of prayer, we're responding to what we're learning about, and that is that we are to pray. So church, what I, I'm going to encourage you right now to pray for God to work in your heart. Maybe you're in here without the Lord, and let me ask you to ask the Lord right now, Lord, show me. Show me how I'm deceived. Show me if I'm deceived. The heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. Lord, show me my heart. Show me the truth and help me to respond to you. Lord, I pray for each of our church members. I pray for those who are with us that are not members or gathering with us. Each soul that's listening to this. Lord, I pray pray that, Lord, you'll open our eyes to see the truth about your word and about our own souls. And Lord, help us to trust you, to live by faith, to see your word, to believe it, and to respond in prayer. And Lord, it is incredible to think that as I'm praying right now, Lord, that you not only hear it, you respond. And there's things that you're doing that I don't even know. I probably will never know on this side of eternity. Maybe someday we will know but you are at work and there's hidden things that are taking place and our prayers truly do have an effect. And my mind now, Lord, is really struggling to understand all this because you're sovereign and you're omnipotent and all that, but also you ask us to pray and you say our prayers, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, like it, it matters. So Lord, help us to be obedient. We think about our country it's so far from you, Lord. I pray that, God, you will work in the hearts of, of government officials, change their heart. I pray, first of all, Lord, they'll be saved, even our state and our city. Lord, we pray for our church, many that are in our area who are far from you, Lord. Save souls. Lord, do something supernatural in our midst, something we can't see, but something that we can see the effects of as people turn in repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you will give us faith to trust, that you are the Lord. Jesus Christ, you're the Lord of hosts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.